I'm Drew. And I'm John. This episode and every future episode is dedicated to the horror hounds and smokers out there who want to expand their knowledge of the genre and have a good time. On today's special episode, we're reviewing Sinister from oh, fuck yeah. 2012, directed by Scott Derrickson. Why? Because John and I love that movie and had to talk about it. Hopefully you've seen the movie, if you're listening. It's not often that a movie gets our blood pumping, but John and I have been talking about Sinister for years, and we're ready to share our thoughts today on High on, on Horror. Horror. Interviews, reviews, and the latest news all rolled into one. All right, well, before we get into our review, uh, hey, looks like John got something for us over here. What you got, buddy? I got a cone of that Guptilla. <laughs> <laughs> what? You know I was Is that really the name? Guptilla. G-U-P-T-I-L-L-A. Guptilla. Did you do that because I'm a Godzilla fan? I mean, it was the weirdest sound of one. <laughs> it's a kind of light green color, uh, 21%. Uh, THC and uh, barely any CBD, but we don't need to diet weed. That's, <laughs> that's very true. That's very true. Hell yeah. Uh, Here, you want to spark this yeah, up? Yeah, I'll spark it up. Why don't you hit us with our synopsis? So as Drew said, Sinister is from 2012. And basically we have Ethan Hawke in the role as of Ellison Oswald. He's a washed up true crime writer. Uh, his last book, Kentucky Blood, uh, caused, caused some problems. And uh, he finds a box of Super 8 home movies in the new home he's moved into to write his latest book. And they suggest the murder that he's currently researching is the work of a serial killer whose legacy dates back to the 60s. This, this uh, Guptilla is nice. That is nice. <laughs> um, yeah, Sinister is not a blood and guts movie. No sex, nudity, or much bad language. Uh, no bad language was written... What bad language there is in the film was all improvised by Ethan Hawke. This movie is just scary. Flat out scary. Rated R for disturbing images and terror. A true horror film. Originally, uh, Scott Derrickson and writer C. Robert Cargill wanted a PG-13 rating, but were happy with the R rating for the reason that it got an R rating. Uh, the idea for Sinister was born in Las Vegas. Co-writer C. Robert Cargill had a nightmare after watching The Ring, where he went in his attic and found uh, Super 8 films and watched one, and the opening scene and, and, and the opening scene of the film with the family hanging is what his nightmare was of. Um, and uh, he bounced the idea off of Scott Derrickson in Las Vegas, and a week later they were at Blumhouse, and uh, none of the other major studios wanted it, believe it or not, because they said it was too dark. And get this, no one believed that Scott Derrickson wouldn't kill kids in the movie. He was trying to convince the studios that kids would not get killed, and they didn't believe him. Uh, it's funny that you talk about the blood, because I was going to say it's kind of like Halloween, where the original Halloween, it's not as blood and guts as you think it is. It's done well because of the storytelling and just the cinematography that... And also the same thing with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You don't see as much as you think you saw watching that movie. I was just going to say Texas Chainsaw, correct? Yeah, like people say Texas Chainsaw's gory. The same thing with Sinister. They'll be like, that movie was brutal. And it's like, when you watch it, it's like, it was really just intense. And uh, I got to say, uh, the, the Super 8 films are kind of like mini uh, VHS clips. Like, I know, like on VHS, I know. You, There's not much in the way of uh, any kind of story there. <laughs> i could definitely understand that yeah and uh well it's it's funny because um you know like the the script was actually written 
in five weeks. And Scott Derrickson said it. The movie is about fear. And I mean, I completely get that. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's definitely, it's definitely about fear, but yeah, to get to what you were uh, talking about with the uh, home movies, here's a knowledge nugget for you. All of the home movies were actually filmed on real super eight film. Yeah. And uh, apparently the uh, pool party one was a hard one to do. Uh, and the people were actually tied to the lawn chairs when they were doing that scene. Yeah. That's crazy i would not sign up for that (laughs) well let's talk about the movie for a second though before we break it apart um so uh yeah the from concept to to completion the the movie took less than a year and uh let's talk about our first time seeing it now i saw it in theaters with my wife and my wife's uh aunt at the time well at the time um obviously she's still her aunt um i don't know why i said at the time <laughs> she she divorced her from being her aunt it's that, it's that gubzilla <laughs> that gubzilla copy <laughs> gubzilla get you <laughs> but uh anyway i saw it with my wife and uh her aunt and uh we loved the movie and then i remember when it came out i made you watch it at my father-in-law's house on surround sound and that was like the most scared i think i've ever seen you watching a movie dude dude it's funny because i it's been a little while since I watched it, so I rewatched it this week uh, before we record it. And I'm telling you, man, the surround sound just really adds another element. I just didn't get it with just coming out of the TV. Dude, I, dude, still the creepiest thing I still say is when you could hear the footsteps when Ethan Hawke's uh, watching one of the Super 8s. Oh, yeah. And you, hear, you could hear like it travel across the surround sound behind you. Yeah, it really makes you paranoid. Like, I remember, like, you actually turned around and looked at the wall behind you as if you were expecting it to be, like, an open space or something. Yeah, dude, it, it really... I really want to get surround sound. It definitely definitely adds to it. Th- this would be one, you know what, that I wish I could have seen in theaters. You know, b- back to uh, our Puff Puff ask. Was it last week, two weeks ago? Somewhere around there. The mo- movie we wish we could have seen in theaters. I'd have to add this one to the list. That's, yeah, uh, it was, well... I mean, I will say, like, I was happy that I saw it in theaters, but it was unfortunate because it was at, like, noon. So it wasn't exactly, like, the best time of day to go. You know, I always prefer to see my movies at night. Not yeah. that it matters because the theaters are dark inside anyway, but still, I, you know, just if that, you know, being in the dark kind of puts you in the mood. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I was going to ask, before you fuck me up with that comment, what was your favorite um uh super eight film my favorite super eight film would have to be i would have to say that it's lawn work i because, knew it. i knew it i knew it. yeah so we'll get into that when we, when we break down when we break down the the home movies we'll get into that but yes definitely so which one's yours lawn work dude that oh you too <laughs> I know, dude. I dude i know i know and uh uh well okay. it's just like dude i wasn't prepared for that let's that that definitely <laughs> is by far the biggest jump scare in the entire film and it's not just like a, a cheap jump scare like that shit gets you yeah dude <laughs> i don't i don't i don't know i don't feel like i was expecting anything i was just like okay where's where's this going and then holy shit it goes somewhere. Yeah, it really does. Uh, but let's talk about shout out uh, to eighty six though. Here I was born. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk to uh, let's talk to let's talk about um, Ellis Oswald. Um, you know, played by Ethan Hawke, and what a character that is. Like, okay, so this guy moves into a house where a prior murder had taken place, so he can put himself in the surroundings of the crime and write a book about it without telling his wife and kids. I mean. That is just fucked. Nicole and I 
because she watched it with me when I was rewatching. She she's watched it before and liked it. Um, I said this sounds like a conversation her and I would have, where his wife goes, "Don't tell him." After the sheriff comes and talks to him, saying how he doesn't want him in town because of Kentucky blood and how yeah. like he fucked everything up with right. that. And his wife goes, why are they so hostile? She's like, don't tell me you moved in two houses down from where this happened. And he goes, no, we didn't move in two houses down from where we moved in. I told, like, even Nicole admitted he didn't lie. He didn't lie to her. But she said, admitting the truth, still lying. I'm saying, but look, she asked directly, are we two houses down? No, nah, you moved into the house. But, but, but no, but then when he's telling her, though, later on, or when he's telling her, you know, oh, uh, it was, uh. It, it wasn't in the house. There's nothing to worry about. And <laughs> Yo, she's like, it wasn't me. in the house. And he goes, no, it was in the backyard. <laughs> like the murder took place in the backyard. Like that makes it any better. And, and that just goes to show you though, like after Kentucky blood, his big hit, which, you know, his true crime, big hit after that, 10 years has passed and he's had two failed book attempts. And this dude is so desperate to chase fame that he is just putting his family right in the center of danger and has no idea. And it's funny because he, he watches old VHSs of him on like talk shows and shit. And he, even he can't take himself seriously when the guy asks him, you know, is it, is it about the fame and money or is it truly about telling these people's story? And then you watch him on the show. He's like, he's like, I've never wanted that. You know, all I've wanted is, you know, to have these stories told. And like, he's sitting there drinking and even he can't take himself seriously. Yeah, all, all, all you know, wallowing in self-pity, you know, trying to get his life together and, 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 and chase that fame. So yeah, like you said, just watching himself be fake and seeing his reaction to it of like, man, I just lied. Like it's all about the money. I'm here 10 years later going broke, still trying to chase the money. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause when you first suggested the movie to me and said, Ethan Hawk, I was like, Ethan Hawk. And then man, like this is the movie. It really changed my opinion on him as an actor. Like I had seen stuff he was in before and he was okay. And I was like, damn, he was really good on this. And then I feel like he's really found, like, horror is a good genre for him. I agree. Everything I've seen him in, can't think of anything that I didn't like him in that I've watched. He's definitely got a, a good string of good movie, good movies. I've always liked him in Gattaca. Did you ever see Gattaca? Nah, that's what I got to watch. That was good. I think I actually watched that in uh, at Penn, high school. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't check it out. Maybe we didn't have the same class. I couldn't tell you what class it was though. If I were, if I had, if you had a gun to my head, um, but uh, yeah. So anyway, so uh, Ellis Oswald, Ethan Hawke, he uh, he moves into this house, into this house where this murder happened, where this you know family um, was hung. This family of four was hung on a tree in the backyard, and. Um, he's trying to solve the murder and hoping that he can write a book about it and that it's going to be a hit. And basically what happens is he realizes, well, he doesn't realize right away, but by investigating, he's put himself dead center in the middle of a murder, a chain of murders that a demonic entity, or I'm sorry, a demonic deity named Bagul is, uh, Babylonian times. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Bagul, uh, is uh, he lives in images, and by Ellis constantly looking at these images and playing these movies, it it awakens, it awakens the demon, so to speak, and brings Ellis now in danger. And uh, it's just a crazy, crazy movie, dude. Fucking uh, the lawnmower scene fucked me up. The other one was the first time. 
that Bagul's just, it's a close-up of him on the screen. You just right. see him turn and look at him when he looks away. I was like, oh, shit. I know. And then, <laughs> that and then, fucked, that fu- I was not ready for that. And you can tell that he saw it, but like his, he turns his head and looks, but it's almost like a denial. Like, tell me I didn't see that. Because, you know, it's like, I did, it's like a, you can see the look on his face because he looks at the screen like, did I just catch that out of my peripheral? And I, I would have never had the shit up on my screen like that to begin with. I would have been like, okay, this thing ain't natural. I'm out. I'm not, I'm not messing with it. And uh, the other thing is when uh, he falls through the ceiling and then he goes back and he sees all these little hands like pulling yeah. him down. He slams the laptop down. Yo, I would have taken a, f- I would have printed, I mean, he printed out all the other photos. I'd have printed that shit out and be like, what the fuck? And like show it to everybody. I think yeah, that, that was the moment where he, uh, where he definitely realizes that some shit's going down. I think that that, that was the true panic moment for him, a true panic mode. And, uh, I, yeah. And any normal, uh, setting or mindset i agree i think taking pictures and printing pictures would have been the right thing to do but yeah i could see why i slammed the laptop down i would have been gone too you know <laughs> yeah i was gonna say uh also the uh family that was hung in the tree uh they're the only kill that happens during day all the other ones are at night yeah that's a very good point it's one of those i, I didn't really i mean it's obvious plain as day in my face but it's not something that i actually uh actually thought of until now but yeah so like just the just the thought though of a demonic deity that lives in images and you know and now you have someone like ellis who has basically how i had mentioned before awoken the demon and now you have this thing is intertwined in his life leaking into his life and he is becoming deeper and deeper involved in these tapes and these images with this Bagul character, this demonic deity. And it's where, you know, the natural meets the supernatural. And this demonic deity, Bagul, lives in images. And so, you know, having all these pictures hung up and constantly watching the videos, he's just, op- Ellis is just opening himself and his family up to this thing coming in and fucking his life up too. And that's exactly what happens. Yeah, Bagul's a bad looking motherfucker. Um, he looks like something from like an '80s metal band, but he is awesome. True, like maybe something from Iron Maiden. Yes, yeah. Anyway, uh, what I was gonna say is, I wish I would have did it this time, but I always forget. And then I watch, and they when he goes back, and you see Bagul in the later clips. I've never actually paused it and went frame by frame watching the first time you see it to see if he's actually there. No, he's not. He's not. That's actually no. Uh, that's the thing. I thought that, and I actually had gone back and and watched it. And I was like, hey, that's not. You know, it's not there. And then you know, a lot of people I've seen online try to say, oh, that's a cheat because it wasn't there in the beginning. You know, but now it's there at the end, and they're just trying to add that in. But I mean, no, he lives in images. Exactly. That's all that's saying when he goes back and he looks at the older images where uh, Bagul wasn't in them and the older videos when he wasn't in them. All that that says is that you know because he's let Bagul in now, Bagul's in everything. That's all that means. So yeah, and also I want to know why each one. Well, no, never mind. I won't go there. I won't get into spoilers yet. That, uh. but anyway, uh, going back to Bagul, um, it's not actually based on anything. Uh, it seems to be from Babylonian times. Also, the city they're in, I think it's what's it, Chetwood, Chetwood, Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Is that, Pennsylvania. That's a fake town too. Uh, but anyway, there are deities, I mean, throughout, like, Jewish history, Coptic Egypt, Slog- uh, Slavic, Roman. There's a lot of ones that there is actually, like, deities that eat children. Yeah, that's... I mean, some kids <laughs> Some kids deserve it, to be honest. 
Yeah, I mean, especially <laughs> kids nowadays. I'm just joking for people <laughs> flip out and say that I suggest eating children is cool. <laughs> That's something that, that we actually got in trouble for. That'd be wild. <laughs> that, yeah, like, I'm not Pennywise. High on horror is no more because John said eating children is okay. <laughs> we uh, okay. Anyway, um, so let's talk about... Uh, so yeah, so again, uh, this character, Ellis... Uh, He's so just so hardcore chasing this fame that as terrified as he is, he's allowing himself to delve deeper and deeper into the into this chain of murders. Um, all by the way, which have one missing family, well, one missing family member. Every video, every movie that Ellis uh, finds in the attic that was left to him by Bagul. Uh, all the films in them have one missing family member, and that's part of uh, Ellis's book is that he's trying to figure out where the missing child. It's a child, and he's trying to figure out who the missing child is in every film. Um, so that's part of the mystery, part of his whole part of his whole book. But the thing is, he's pursuing it so hardcore that he has a deputy uh, played by James Ransom. And he has a deputy who he literally puts in his phone as deputy so-and-so. And And throughout the duration of the film, even though this guy is helping him with information, he never asked him. He never never get his name. Yeah, he never once asks what deputy so-and-so's real name is. He just doesn't give a shit about anything or anyone but chasing his fame. He calls him deputy so-and-so over the phone to him. I know. He's it's, like, oh, hey, deputy so-and-so. But that just goes to show you how, like, he just doesn't care. He just wants this to, to tell a story and to be famous again. And if anything, this movie's I mean, it's a story about fear, like Scott Derricks had said, but it's also a story about, like, when to just know when to let your dreams the fuck go, because sometimes, like, it ain't worth it. <laughs> uh, it's, I think, I don't think I said it right. I think Chatford, Pennsylvania. I don't know if that's what I, uh called it earlier but that's the, the name chest, of, yeah it wasn't well, that wasn't it but i knew it was pennsylvania either way anyway um i wanted to say with the movies they all have names who do you think's naming them do you think it's the kids or it's bagul telling them telling them what with the name of because i mean there's some good names we got pool party 66 barbecue 79 lawn work 86 sleepy time 98 family hanging out 11 that would that's a clever one i know i know and um, then uh i'll the last one well it's not yeah, a spoiler it's no. called house painting right um no i actually the i i think if i had to pick i think it's bagul because i think that uh like ultimately they're his movies and um so i think it's him naming them and i think things like uh sleepy time and stuff like that like that has a childish ring to it where you'd think it would maybe be a child naming them but i think it's even creepier if you think it's bagul like because he's like ultimately he eats children and he wants to come through the images of people who look into him and take their children and he wants to eat them. And it's like, you know, uh, yeah, Bagul's a bad motherfucker. Yeah. And also I got to say like Bagul made out pretty good. He got 2011 and 2012. I mean, before that there was always a gap in years before he got a new video. I know. Yeah. And why is every kid doing a shh with their finger over like who needs to be quiet? They did exactly yeah it's it's uh it's yeah um so the whole thing of the of the movie is like you know like you said we'll just get into it is that uh spoiler alert it's the uh it's the it's the the missing child we find out later in the film you know at the end of the film that it's the missing child from all of the tapes that is committing the murders because Bagul is influencing them to basically turn them evil to kill their family and then bring them into his world where he can then 
absorb them and eat them and they could become one of his children so to speak and um yeah i i it's it's just like what a what a crazy concept for a movie it's 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 such a wild film you know i was gonna say uh, the other name that the kids always give in the drawings is mr boogie and i think i kind of like that name better yeah well that i mean it, it, again that's that that childish ring to it that kind of makes it a little more creepier I, I i agree mr boogie does sound creepy but um i did want to say that uh what did you think of the scene where ellis wakes up and the videos i'm sorry i keep calling them videos where the uh films are playing by themselves that shit is creepy. Like just just waking up to a snuff film with a demonic deity in it, just playing projector. by itself on the projector, waking you up. Yeah, right. How, how the hell the hell did that happen? That to me is probably like that's one of the creepiest things. Like that's just environment. That's that atmospheric horror right there. You know what I mean? Like don't have to be a jump scare. They're just setting it up so you, that doing something like that lets just puts you on edge where you just know in that house around Ellis whenever he's around that anything could go down. That like he's not alone. And the funny thing is that you kind of learn at the end that Bagul, for some reason, don't necessarily know why, he has to force them out of the house that they're living in. Yep. Yeah. I'll give you my theory. I think that goes to spreading his influence. Because he's just reaching out to a new... I mean, yeah. I mean, it could. Like a new area. I could. But it... It is weird that they have, that's the only thing that I'm just kind of like, I wonder why that has to happen, that they have to pack up and leave. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it is weird. Like, there's definitely, I think you could be onto something there, you know, but yeah, that essentially is what happens, you know, at the end of the film, um, due to deputy so-and-so's information, Ellis is able to piece together that, uh, every family that's killed in those movies had lived in a house where a prior murder had happened in the end, that chain of murders. And, uh, coincidentally enough, Ellis is the house he just moved into is the former home of one of said, one of the said murders. So, uh, yeah, basically he gets, he finds a, an extended cut. So to speak, I liked that. He finds an envelope with extended, an extended cut of all of the movies and, uh, he watches them and that's where we get the big reveal that it's the children at the end. And then he realizes that he's got some green slimy shit in the bottom of his cup, and he'd just been gotten by his daughter. Yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> those kids are all creepy. Well done. <laughs> I forget which one. I think it might even be his daughter. Ashley, yeah. It goes, oh, I like the longer cut. Yeah. And, dude, well, let's talk about uh, uh, Michael Hall, Daddario, and Claire Foley as Trevor and Ashley. They did a fucking great job. Like, those were very good actors for kids. Yeah, like all those kids were creepy. They actually auditioned uh, 10 to 15 kids for each of those roles. And those are the uh, Michael and Claire got the roles. And I'm glad they did because they were very convincing. When Michael uh, has the, uh, I'm going to call it Trevor because that's his name in the movie. When Trevor has the night terrors, like that scene is scary as hell. When like, he's in the box. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, Scott Derrickson's son, the director, he said that uh, his son has night terrors. So basically like he takes his son outside and that's what helps like like wake us so like that's why that's in the movie when ellis when uh ellis you know is carrying trevor outside to like wake him up out of his night terror that was taken directly from something that happens in real life so there's a little knowledge nug yeah i didn't know that one and uh somebody we haven't talked about is vincent d'onofrio is uh professor jonas 
he comes off believable just like that's why i had to look up about his bagulda real thing like he just very casually just I mean, it it, se it seems believable and uh he went uncredited because he uh did it as a favor and uh all he had to do was record on his laptop so he figured he didn't he didn't need a credit for that yeah that's that's a very cool little fact i didn't know that um but i, I did want to say though that uh something that i wanted to bring up to you a fellow uh carpenter knight i don't know if that's what you call him uh, i'm just gonna make that up uh but uh you know your fellow john carpenter lover i was gonna say one of the things about this movie about sinister is that it comes off as timeless it doesn't have like i mean there are cell phones in it but that's kind of everything but besides the cell phone usage like the wardrobes and everything like it's all like it could be at any point like it just seems like it, it doesn't really have like a almost like a christopher nolan movie where like the clothing is done in such a way it could be at any point you know what i mean and uh anytime like let's say after the 70s <laughs> and there's no bell bottoms but anytime after the 70s and, and uh the wardrobe like you know like uh ellis's sweater that sweater that he's always wearing you know like the uh, the wardrobes just make everybody seem like such real people because it's like real clothes on people you know what i mean like it's like that's one of the things that makes the family just like in the conjuring films with james wand it makes the family believable because like they're wearing real clothes and they're talking like real people yeah and like i almost was going to mention about when i said like you don't know why bagul needs the family to move before yeah the kid kills them that very carpenter-esque there's a lot of stuff that isn't explained that you're not supposed to know that's very true and uh yeah and uh, actually um to bring back the sweater ethan uh loved this loved the sweater and uh his character uh was supposed to like you had brought up when he falls out of the attic earlier remember when like the ghosts yeah. grab him so in that scene um that was originally written that ellis was gonna fall and cut his arm but Ethan loved the loved the sweater so much that like he didn't want to take it off. He didn't and, like the, the nobody could figure out a reason why he would take the sweater off to get his arm cut in the attic, so like they wouldn't have a visible cut. So like down to the line, they couldn't figure it out. And you know, uh, Cargill, the writer, just goes, "Hey, you know what? We're just gonna make it his leg. He cuts his leg, so we got to keep the sweater on." Yeah, actors are weird about stuff. Sometimes, sometimes they gotta do some weird stuff to get in the character absolutely what about uh, again to bring it up carpenter though how about the cinematography those bright pastel colors during the day and then the dark black and orange and ellis's and office like at night dark dark like at points yeah like even like even when the light's not orange like ellis will be wearing an orange sweater it's always like a black and orange tone like coloring and it's like it's very carpenter-esque and especially when he goes when they go outside at nighttime and it's those cold blues that you love i know you love those cold blues i those love cold, those dark like blues. 80s blues for night like uh fright night's another good one it did those oh yeah i'll bring that up anytime i can yeah but i definitely like even in halloween 4 they, they had some good night scenes with those blues yeah that's i agree and in a terminator 2 james cameron loves the blues yeah but know? that's that's probably the best it's been done <laughs> yeah i mean yeah I, I would agree with that damn i want to watch t2 now <laughs> I know, right? We're going to have to do a, a, a high on not horror episode and do a Terminator 2 review. Oh, that'll go way too long. Yeah, that, yeah, that, I mean, I, I, I could legit stop what I'm doing and talk about that movie for four <laughs> days right now. So yeah, let's not get into that. Um, here's a knowledge nug for everybody out there. If you watch the film and you see all of these Apple products, like the iPhone and the laptops and stuff, that, uh, yes, it's product placement, but... It was just given to them. Apple donated all of that stuff uh, for the film, but they didn't get to keep it, unfortunately. 
Oh, I wanted to say, uh, we're talking about the kids. Burn of the fucking movie is when his daughter says, Don't Burn worry. of the movie. That's just okay. Dude, fucking she. Oh, you can't tell me. He, he needed some aloe vera for that burn when his fucking daughter says, Don't worry, daddy. I'll make you famous again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's going to drop the mic on him as he's out. As he's about to go down, she's just going to drop the mic on him. But, uh, uh, but uh, according to co writer uh, Robert Cargill, uh, Bagul, Mr. Boogie, uh, was originally intended to look more like Johnny Depp. Uh, <laughs> like his version of Willy Wonka. And after going over the idea, they decided that a deity that looked like Willy Wonka would not be too silly for the film and not scary or mysterious enough. I mean, I would agree. Uh, there's finally, uh, there's a photo that was found on Google Images that Cargill bought the rights to, and this was the basis for the final Bagul as we see in the finished film. But to, could you imagine if Bagul looked like Willy Wonka? <laughs> From, like, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Willy Wonka? Like, maybe it was because he was supposed to, like, lure children. They wanted to make him like that. But, I mean, that would be terrible. That would be terrible, dude. Oh, my God. I mean, the Crooked Man from The Conjuring 2 reminds me of Willy Wonka. Like, Johnny Depp's Willy Wonka, minus the whole, like, head and weird smile and that little, uh, that little cut that he's got going on. I don't know. The the, the suit, it just gives me that Willy Wonka vibe. I'm probably just saying some high shit right now. Um, <laughs> um, but okay, hold on. Um, at the end of the film, you see Bagul uh, look at you, like the way the way that he looks in the uh, in the film at Ellis when he's watching. You see Bagul look at you right as the film cuts to black, saying that you know you the viewers are next because you just watched all of his snuff films the way that Ellis did. That is just so beautiful. I think that that is just so awesome. Yeah, I mean, I I don't have any complaints with this movie. I think it's well-paced. I mean, just talking about it, I kind of want to watch it again, even though I just recently watched it. All right, so I guess uh, before we get into the breakdown, before we break it down, let's uh, do our rating. We've already reviewed it, so let's do our rating and move on from there with the breakdown. Um, as a whole, nine. Yeah, I'd I'd give it I give it like a like a nine four, like it's 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 pretty damn good. It's I, up there. I it it's definitely doesn't get enough praise. It's not more more people should see this movie. Yeah, I think that one of the problems was that uh, a lot of people who didn't see it lumped it into that whole category of like you know the um, insidious movies that were coming out and just saw it as like one of those, Oh, another supernatural. And that's a shame. It got lost in the shuffle for for some people because it's so much better than the insidious movies and other like, you know, paranormal movies that were coming out at that time. Like, um, the last exorcism and shit like that, you know, or the, the, the devil and I wasn't that what I think that was the name of that movie. A terrible movie. I can't even, is that, you know, the devil inside. There it is. The Devil and I is a Slipknot song. The Devil, <laughs> the Devil inside the movie. Anyway, all these supernatural movies about d- d- you know demons, and then you have Sinister come out about a demonic deity. I can see how people kind of were like uh, another one. You know, it's kind of like another zombie movie. But uh, no, like this was one that you sh- that if you haven't seen it, you should have focused in on. And if you're listening to this episode and haven't seen it, you need to go watch it. Like seriously. It's funny you say that because I mean the poster up top literally has from the producers of Paranormal Activity and Insidious. I know that's what I'm so, saying. So if you were wore out on those movies by that point, that didn't really help it. Yeah, you're just like, or if you didn't like those movies because it's so much better than them. It's such a different movie. But yeah, you see Paranormal Activity and Insidious, and a lot of people don't like. Either of those so you see that and you go yeah now nah, i'm good 
and it's like that was the one to watch that was the one to watch um all right so you wanted to do a new rating system what's up i was gonna say we could break it down out of 10 what what would you give the acting oh man ethan hawk tears it down man i mean even just going off of what he did um everybody did a good job but oh as a whole all the acting (laughs) 9.5 yeah, I mean that's fair. I was gonna say like nine six, nine seven. I mean, the that's only fair down too. point I would say is if you had to pick anything out about the acting, maybe maybe his wife was a little stiff. But I, I mean she that. doesn't she has a part in the movie, but it's not large. It's really honestly a lot of just Ethan Hawk by himself and you're just following his experience. I, I do feel that uh that that she has a good chemistry with Ellis. I do feel that Tracy has a good chemistry with Ellis like on screen. Like they get along well, their arguments are convincing, you know, their dialogue to each other back and forth is convincing, but I can agree overall that yeah, the little stiff, but with everything considered, uh yeah, nine point five is still to me that's good. But I mean, I'm I'm not even saying she did a bad job. I'm just if I had to nitpick anything, yeah, right, uh, on yeah. the acting, absolutely. Uh, what about cinematography? <sighs> yeah, that's another. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's beautiful to look at. It's, I it's don't want to give out tens. It's beautiful. Like... <laughs> it's a beautiful movie to look at. Uh, yeah, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to grease its wheels, so to speak. But if I'm being honest, cinematography nine nine point five. <laughs> yeah i mean i i would i would give it a nine like a nine two like it's really hard to find things about the movie that are unlikable and then i was gonna say story oh story 10 story 10 i I, I, the story is a straight 10 for me i mean i mean the story is everything and uh it's just such an original i give it like a 90 (laughs) i don't want to give it a 10 but i'll give it a 98 i mean mean, close enough i don't want to give out 10s i mean i know but i'm not giving out 10 to the movie i'm giving out 10 to the story Uh, uh, no no i get the story the story is is fucking the concept i mean if somebody pitched that shit to me if I had money like that and somebody was like, hey, I wanted to make this movie and it's about this, you know, demonic deity that, you know, comes to life through pictures and eats children and all this shit, I'd, I'd be like, yeah, sign me up. Like, that's definitely not something that we've seen before. So I, I love it. Yeah, I don't understand why I got passed on so much. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, yeah, I love this movie. So any other ones you wanted to break down or how about score? What do you think about the score? Uh, I mean, it was it was okay. I mean, I, I liked it. It was nothing spectacular that blew me away. Yeah, the score probably would be... I'm not going to shit on it or nothing, but score... I mean, it's funny because it's like shitting on it, but no, it's uh like eight. <laughs> funny, that, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, like so it's still not really, not really shitting on anything. You know, I mean, the... Uh, but, I mean, there's nothing that when you tell me the score of Sinister, I can go, oh, that song. Or, yeah. or I think of like a scene or something with the song. There's nothing it really. I feel like it was more. I mean, it w- it's a jump scare movie, but it's not a jump scare movie. It's a it's a it's yeah it's a real horror movie with jump scares, just like Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth. Horror movies have jump scares. You're just not supposed to be all fucking jump scares. <laughs> yeah, like a Friday the Thirteenth towards the later ones. Oh uh, yeah, that's all it was. But then, like, you're not even scared because. You know one's coming. <laughs> That's what she said. 
Okay. Are you ready to break the movie down? Are you ready to go, go yeah, into our breakdown? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, all right. So, first off, well, let's break down. I wanted to break down the uh, the home movies part of it. So, for those of you listening who have seen the movie, this will be a little a chance for you to learn something if you haven't uh, figured this stuff out already. Get learnt. Yep. <laughs> We're not going to do a burn and learn this episode, so this is as close as it's going to get. Um, so for the first film, Family Hangout, the Stevenson family, um, that was actually... Are you going in order from the movie? Yeah, I'm going to okay. go in order from the movie and just, you know, we'll, we'll break it down. Um, here's something that I thought was just astonishing. Uh, the, the tree that the Hamley, that the, that the Hamley, the tree that the family is hanging on is a fake tree. The production designer, David Brisbane, came in and made that tree. That blew me away because that tree looks real as hell. And um, it isn't until later, again, we discussed this, that you see Mr. Boogie in this first video because he has not been awoken yet. Ellis has not become involved enough yet to wake him up and say, hey, you know, okay, like, let's, let's you know, come on in. It's, he didn't open the door yet. So you don't see Bagul in this movie, but he does come back to it later on and he is in it. Um we discussed that earlier. So what did you think of this, John, about this movie? Like it's the opening scene of the film. And to me, like it's just disturbing. When I first saw the opening, I was like, well, that's disturbing as hell. Yeah. And then the extended cuts like even creepier. Yeah. Cause you end up having the, uh, the daughter goes and swings from the father's legs. And that's and brutal. just like chilling in the bushes. Always creeping, man. I know. I know. <laughs> He's definitely always creeping, and uh, uh, so so then we get to the second tape, the uh, barbecue with the Martinez family uh, being torched in their home. That one was hard to watch. That one's kind of like it's the these snuff films really in the legitimately home garage, yeah, yeah. It really doesn't look like that's the thing when you're watching these movies, they're done in such a way that it is really disturbing. Like you really do feel that you're watching these like snuff films with Ellis. Yeah, this one, I feel like there wasn't, you didn't get much from the extended cut, except just knowing what you already knew. Like, after the first couple, you knew that each one was going to be the kid it was missing. I feel like this one, you didn't get much in the extended cut. You yeah. just saw the kid. Correct. Because, I mean, he burned them in the cars, like, with <laughs> gasoline. There's not really much more to, like, show. Right, that's right. It's Yeah, like you said, I think the, the, the little kid showing up was just a way of just... Because there's probably some dumbass audience member out there during a test screening that would be like, oh, it didn't show who did the killing in the barbecue video, so was it a kid in that one? <laughs> so they probably had to just be like, here's a quick shot of a kid just standing there running and by. Once, and once again, all the kids coming to the camera trying to like shush the away crowd after they score a touchdown bagul has a noisy rotation apparently (laughs) (laughs) but uh okay and then uh tape number three pool party uh this one the no last name of the family is revealed um boogie shows up for the first time in this film not because this is a a film where uh bagul is already in the movie. No, uh, this movie is just like all the other ones. He wasn't in any of them, but now that he has been awakened through Ellis and Ellis has opened that door and allowed him in, um, we see Bagul for the first time in this tape. This is him basically saying touche. He's like, okay, it's on. We're involved in each other's lives. And, um, yeah, uh, making that choice uh, to watch this movie and become deeper involved is why Boogie shows up, and from here on, it's on. Yeah, that's yeah. Like you said, it's the first time we see him, and dude, 
I remember just the first time I was like, this dude, like, that's a creepy ass design. And I'm like, this, I, well, well done. Like, I feel creeped out. Like, fucking yeah. looking at this thing. Yeah. Well, one of the things actually, now that I bring it up, was I was I was gonna I was gonna say, um, like, I wonder if now this is something I might be overthinking it, but like, I wonder if um, like maybe Bagul was in those videos from the start. But you had to believe in him to see him because into the end when you like you know, I don't know because that's kind of that's kind of where I was yeah with that's it. A, maybe maybe like instead of him just like showing up saying like boom I'm here like it was like I've kind of been here all along but now that you believe in me this is the first time you're seeing me like yeah because then when he goes back and watches when he is in them so that's what I think I don't think maybe Google's specifically making a point to go let me just be in everything he's watching now and make an appearance it's kind of like you're seeing the full picture now so to speak so I just figured that out and cool i mean that's 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 where you went with it too that's what you would thought yeah i just figured you know he he chose to reveal himself yeah but but you think that he was in the other films as well like it just he because ellis didn't believe so to speak or hadn't like invested enough to indulge in it that he hadn't uh revealed himself like i said i just that thought never even dawned on me till just now that's why i love talking about this shit i never even thought about that um yeah, anything to say about pool party before we move on to lawn work? Uh, pool party's a rough one, and like I said, like they actually had the like they had actual people tied to the lawn furniture, like getting pulled into the into the pool. Chronologically, that's the earliest one. That was the first. It's funny now that I think about it. You know, it's the first time we see Bagul, and that is actually the first video there you in, go perfect so yeah because he doesn't watch them in order but that's like yeah. the and that leaves like a chronological that's the, the the dated one it's dated that as was the in first 66 one. so you're right so that's that's technically the first tape and that's the first time that ellis sees Bagul. how fucking cool is that you just tied that together another thing that's awesome there i'm you sure go. people figured it out but like i don't, I don't know i was just just came to me now because yeah that's chronologically that was the first one from 66 that was the earliest dated one yeah, that's awesome. Good to go on that shit. That, that makes total sense. I don't know if that was done intentionally or not, but that's a hell of a cool coincidence. That's really cool. Um, all right, and number four, Sleepy Time, is the Miller family killed in their beds. This one is another one that's hard to watch because it just feels like a pure snuff film. The only gore in the fil- in this scene is when you see the, the, well, you don't know it's the kid yet, but you see the hand with the knife slit the mother's throat. And you see, you don't see it on the film, but you see the reflection of her throat getting cut in Ellis's glasses as you're watching his reaction. I just thought that that was beautifully done. Yeah, and they killed a kid in this one. Kid on kid violence. <laughs> That's true. That, yeah, uh, Sleepy Time was a rough one, but the video has, that's the only video has the only potential survivor in it, besides obviously the murderer. Right, correct. But the uh, Chihuahua. Yeah, and, and that's when uh he sees the, uh, Ellis sees the big ass Bagul symbol on the wall, and that's when you're like, what the hell is that? That symbol, that symbol's wild, man. Yeah, I don't know who designed them, but. Again, well looks like a, med- a metal band from like the 80s, <laughs> yeah, doesn't it? Exactly. <laughs> um but yeah that's that's another rough one um just watching people just helpless people the miller family tied to their bed uh beds rather um just being plucked off like it's just uh just what a just brutal display of just violence for like no apparent reason yeah uh but up next we got uh, the most fucked up one i think yep which one lawn work there you go 86 dude 
that jump scare in there is well done with that scream. Like, I, um, dude, it's right as it happens. My God, dude, that that jump scare is masterful. That is up there with uh, the descent when the pole flies through the window and impales. Again, I'm terrible with names. Impales the main girl in the head. Um, that that the descent that scene in the descent is still one of the biggest jump scares to me. And I would put this lawnmower scene right there with it because it just fucking goes on and on and on, and then it's just like. Rah! And you're just like, holy shit. And that's another one that you're like, they got fucked up with lawnmowers, but you didn't really see it. It was more about the, it was what, yeah, it's exactly, it's what you didn't see that fucked you up. And what you did see was enough to startle you. It's, it's, and that's, I I mean, barbecue's a rough way to go. I mean, they're all rough ways to go, but I don't know. Is the lawnmower the worst? Yeah, I think the Deluzio family probably got it the worst. I mean, the lawnmower is rough. That's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, lawnmower over the face, bro. I mean, I mean, like, oh. <laughs> like why you're alive, like uh, screaming, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, that's, but I mean, the other ones you're burning to death, suffocating yeah. sleep, sleepy time probably got it. The easiest it was quickest. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. Sleepy time with the Miller family, uh, Miller family. Yeah, that was, that was rough. That was rough. But, I mean, like I said, I think that one, they probably got it the easiest out of the other ones. Yeah, I would yeah, I would agree with that. But, again, when you when you brought up Sleepy Time, I thought of the uh, throat cut again. I was like, ah, and it's, that's, it's, it's, it might be the easiest of them or the, 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 but, or the, the least hardcore. But well, they're all, I mean, dude, hold on. If, if somebody came to you and said, hey, check this snuff film out, and you put it in, and it's somebody running people's heads over with lawnmowers, I would take it and throw it out the window. I would be fucking traumatized. And it's like, that's, I can see why the film got an R rating. It is very dark content. Yeah, but I mean, you don't see it per se. <laughs> no, but they do make the film and atmosphere carry that dread that, that helps, you know, it, it never lets up. Like, once, once Ellis starts watching these movies, you're on eggshells. And actually, well, you know, maybe the next easiest one, depending on where you got hit, was uh, the final one, house painting. Yeah. Yeah, depending on where you got hit. <laughs> I like how you put like, that. Like, I mean, if it's a nice, clean chop, it's yeah. good. But, yeah, I mean, once again, kids getting killed again. Yeah, and let's talk about that. We talked about how everybody else is, uh, how all the other families got killed. How did the Oswald family get killed? Like got Lizzie Borden. They got chopped the fuck up with an axe. Yeah. And then I love how the little girl adds the drawing on the um uh, the, the top of the box at the end. Adds her family. Like, it's like all the kids after they do the murder draw their families. And you just see all these different little body parts everywhere, like in a kid drawing. It's so, it's so sinister. Fittingly sinister. <laughs> yeah. And then she <laughs> paints a mural on the wall of Bagul. Yeah. In blood. I know. It's well, Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And then, just like all the other kids, go to the camera and do a shh. And then Bagul, you know, carries her through the threshold into the into the celluloid. And she is now his, one of his children. Yeah, and all them kids turn around real quick when he when he was going after her oh yeah no doubt um but let's talk about uh let's talk about bagul now um i actually um time stamped this because um a lot of people don't know this and this is something that like kind of again just fills you in on that atmospheric horror where there's always something going on even if you don't know it um later in the film i'm sorry let's start at the beginning okay nine minutes into the film in the attic Ellis finds a scorpion when he finds a box of films. 
That was to say that Bagul left him the box of films. Uh, 42, at the 42-minute mark, you see a snake in the attic. And then at the 57-minute mark, you see a black wolf in uh, Ellis's backyard looking vicious and growling at him. Now, um, at the end of the film, you see that Vincent D'Onofrio uh, tells Ellis... You know, he's tell, talking about Bagul and some research that he had done, and he shows him some pictures. And if you pay attention to the pictures that uh, Ellis is looking at that has been sent, that have been sent to him, you will see that on those pictures, one has a, a wolf, a black wolf, and on another picture there's a snake, and on another picture there's a scorpion. Now, a lot of people haven't tied this together, but that is tell, that is telling you that those are all different forms of Bagul. So when you see that scorpion and snake in the attic, that's Bagul. When you see that wolf in the backyard, that's Bagul. When you see Bagul as himself in these photos and pictures, obviously that's him. So the point is, right away from being in the house, right away, Bagul was everywhere. And a lot of people don't know that. I just think that that's a really cool thing that Bagul isn't just this guy. He, he is technically a shapeshifter. I don't know if you want to call him a shapeshifter. Or he has other forms that he can trans, ter, turn into, transform into, to creep around. Like you said, he creeps. And it's like, yeah, this dude just, he can be anywhere. And it's, uh, it's a very cool little fact. Very cool little facts. Yes. Yeah, I didn't know that. And uh, I got to ask, though, Bagul got the gabagool, though? <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit! <laughs> well, all right. Um, uh, here's a knowledge nug. Um, earlier in the film, when uh, Ellis and uh, Vincent D'Onofrio uh, speak um, for the first time about Bagul, that was uh, done live. There was no takes done of that. It was uh, Ethan Hawke and Vincent D'Onofrio in the same house in different rooms, skyping, and uh, Ethan Hawke actually had to show Vincent D'Onofrio how to Skype. Yeah, that doesn't shock me. I feel like <laughs> they're probably used to people just having having shit set up for them all the time. Probably living life. I saw a uh, thing that uh, that uh, Robert Cargyle, uh, the name for Ethan Hawke's character Ellison Oswald, was inspired by Harlan Ellison and comedian Patton Oswald. Oh well, I mean, there's the names for you. Yeah, Patton Oswald's uh, apparently a big horror buff. Oh, wow. Maybe we should reach out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he got to bring the weed, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got the good good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Bagul is... Uh, I want to... Do you know who designed it? Because, I mean... No, I mean, I've done all my research on uh, all the technical aspects of the film. I've never... Uh, I think that, honestly, I like... I mean, I'm, I mean, we can look into it. I'm cool with that. But there are certain elements of films that I just kind of like leaving the mystery to. And that's kind of one of those things where uh, I don't even know who the actor who played Bagul is. I never even looked him up. It's kind of like I don't want to know. Nicholas like, King. They're going to say Nicholas <laughs> Cage. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to step in the cage. <laughs> okay, so it was uh, what was that you said? The name? Nicholas King. Nicholas King was the designer? No, no. He was the one that played Bagul. Oh, he plays Bagul? Okay. Yeah, there's certain things about movies that I just... uh, 
I don't want to know because Bagul is such a creepy character to me. Like knowing who the actor was, I feel like that would mess it up for me. So thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> but um, luckily, I, I, no offense, I don't know who what he looks like uh, without the makeup. So, but yeah, like there are certain things like um, I just like preserving, and I don't look into certain things. I'll look into how a movie was made and things like that. But when it comes to like certain characters and stuff i if, if, if they scare me I, I try to keep it as uh, knowing as little about it as possible so it keeps scaring me yeah uh, apparently for the underwater scenes he had to wear weights and stay underwater for several seconds and uh, apparently with a lot of the stuff with the super eight they had to like take care to make sure the camera was rolling properly uh the cartridge and light meter were working otherwise they'd have to refilm it over a bunch of times yeah, and the 16 millimeter film is like super delicate because it's film. So to not scratch that shit up was like super hard to like. They had to make sure they were handling that shit well. Dude, I, like, I just know from working in the movie theater with 35 millimeter, we had to like be super careful and take like two of us to carry like a whole like reel of film. Yeah, so you can only imagine. Yeah, uh, the that's that's what I like about Scott Derrickson. And no, not to shit on David Gordon Green, but we were talking, you know, in our Halloween Kills review about how you know. Uh, the the grain in the flashback scenes were was done digitally and it's like scott derrickson would have never have done that he is such a he is a he is a hands-on director this dude will say hey if this is an old if this is old footage then you know what we're filming that shit in 16 millimeter and it's going to be real 16 millimeter we're not going to digitalize it and make it look 16 millimeter and you got to appreciate that i mean it always shows like I mean, yeah, Sinister 2 is a better movie than... Ho Sinister 2. Sinister is a better movie than Halloween Kills. I'm not going to deny that. But, um, yeah, I mean, in regards to the whole uh, David Gordon Green using uh, CGI to create grain, I'm just... I mean, that's cool. But hearing that somebody actually made the effort to put it on film, that's the cool thing to me. That's what always is going to make me go, I want to watch that one because it's the authenticity to it. And the, and it's not that there was corners cut. Halloween Kills is a huge budget movie. It's just that, you know, it's a little bit more effort. You got to appreciate that little bit more effort that was put in for it to really be 16 millimeter film. Yeah, I mean, Scott's a good director. I mean, I I agree with you that he, he would have put the work in. I mean, he's done some good stuff like, I mean, Exorcism, Emily Rose, we've talked about. We're going to have to do that as a special sometime. And, uh, I, I mean, he did, um, uh, trying to think of the Marvel movie. Uh, Doctor Strange. Thank you. Yep. I couldn't think of it. Uh, that was good too. Yeah. And that was one of those Marvel movies that I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to see that. <laughs> and then, I mean, well, somebody, nobody told me that Rachel McAdams was in it or I would have just saw it immediately. <laughs> But, I mean, that was that's one of the better Marvel movies. Agreed. Is he doing the sequel? No, I don't. I think Sam Raimi's doing the sequel. That's right. Because uh, he's doing uh, Black Phone, which we need to get our asses to the theaters and see yeah, when that I shit comes out. That. Joe Hill, Ethan Hawke, and Scott Derrickson, we're signed up. I mean, we're not, but if you could sign us up right now, we're signed up. And Robert Cargill did the screenplay. Oh, oh Jesus. There you go. There you see, I, I, that was a fact. I didn't look too much into Black Phone yet, so I didn't know that. Yeah, so yeah that's the writers. Pretty... Yeah, I have it here. The writers are uh, Scott Derrickson, Robert Cargill, and Joe Hill. Oh, geez. Well, well that, that's just. So you got the, the crew that well, wrote Joe, Well, Joe Hill did the short story for it. He it was based on that, though. So, and yeah, then yeah. Scott and Robert Cargill did the screenplay. So you have the team who did Sinister adapting a Joe Hill story. And I mean, James Ransone's in it. I mean, that's that's just that's just check, 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 check. Sign me up. Yeah, I can't wait. When is this coming out? I think January. I'm probably dead, all, dead wrong. 
It's probably, I think it's like the end of January. February 4th. Okay. I said end of January. I was close. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, we're definitely going to have to check that out. All right. I think, uh, I think now's about a good time. We can wrap it up here. <sighs> yeah. I think it's a good time. Yeah. <laughs> So next week, we're going to have our season finale with Chris Alexander, and we'll talk about his short film, It Knows You're Alone, available on Full Moon Features. Make sure to get your subscription for Full Moon Features. It's well worth it. And after that episode, we'll be back in full swing. We're going to take a little break. We'll be back with you January 10th, 2022. But in the meantime, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at High on Horror 420. We're going to pop up time to time with special episodes. I mean, for example, Monday, November 29th, we'll have a review of Resident Evil Raccoon City for you. Make sure to check out our website, highonhorror.com, and you can sign up for our newsletter, and you can get episodes, announcements delivered directly to your inbox. And also, send your questions to us for Puff Puff Ass for next season on social media, our website, or our email, highonhorror420 at gmail.com and I guess that'll about wrap her up catch you later bye everybody <laughs>